She's April. And she's Molly. And we are the Book Besties. Now you have justifying incest. All roads lead back to the whore. She's more of an object than she is a main character. I definitely got a vibe. He has molested a corpse or two. Oh, I forgot that murder fixes that problem. Hi, I'll be your guide. Your G-U-I-D-E to the other side. I'm not a murderer. I feel like I need to Oh, so it's good to see your face. I was concerned. Your husband uh, texts me. Yeah, uh, so my phone sucks. I need a new phone. It's quite oh. old, and it died while we were at lunch. It died at noon. Like, <laughs> it's not battery power, man. Rude. Well, okay, so he said, texts, he goes, April's on her way home, and I go, okay, I'm going to rush. Her phone is dead, and we drove separately, so if she doesn't show up, she's dead in a ditch somewhere. I go, <laughs> I go, if so, how do you about feel about filling in? And he goes, I have not read the book. I will read the first and last pages of each chapter and see you tonight. I go, glad, I go, glad we have a backup plan, Tom. Okay, okay. A few things. Number one, the children with, were with me. So his concern <laughs> for me being dead in a ditch, the kids are with me, ah, no big deal. Second, if I actually were dead in a ditch, his plan was to still go on with you and not grieve his loss of his wife and children we have because- obviously we obviously have a business skill to run so <laughs> we will grieve after recording man i uh i see where i rank we, i uh, it shows how much we love you that we're going to continue on in your memory and keep doing a thing you love very much is that what it was? Because it doesn't to me feel it like was. <laughs> it doesn't feel like that. <laughs> Can I give that a? <laughs> sure. Oh, I gotta find mine. I'm in. I'm back upstairs in my old office. Yeah, you're so in a new space. Today. I'm in a new space. I mean, I still got my favorite background, but yeah, it's just mine. Like, there's a I'm door in the and everything. Space. Wow. <laughs> like I'm in the I'm... same space. Got my pink wall. Um. <laughs> Living large. We're living large. Mm-hmm. So this week, uh, Tess Grishin, Bone Garden. Yes. I don't have a copy of it because I listened to the audiobook on Audible, not sponsored. But uh, thank you, Molly, for letting me borrow <laughs> <Yes>. it. <laughs> I couldn't find it on any of the library apps that the two no? library systems I use. Well, Neither of them had it as an audiobook. Uh, and the CD player in my car, because um, I have a car old enough to have a CD player, it's not working. <laughs> So I couldn't borrow it that way either. Um, I did borrow the physical book from the library, but just was going to run out of time to read it. So I did the audiobook, And I'm glad because I have to say the narrator, I mean, chef's kiss. Right. She was fantastic. She's fantastic. There's a lot of characters to keep track of in this book. I wrote a was- list. Yeah, I did too. That's so funny. Because I couldn't, I had to keep track. Yeah, that's what I did too. I wrote um, a list. But she, she has a different voice for each of them, which I think is great. Like, yeah. um, She's definitely a narrator. I would look for uh, an audiobook by her and, and read another. So, I mean, she's no, uh, I lost my train of thought. She's good, though. She's very good. Were you going to say Jim Dale? No. <laughs> no, um, I was thinking Jennifer Iketa, who does oh, d- uh, Discovery, Discovery of Witches. And I really didn't, 
I didn't really think she was that great. You shut your <laughs> mouth. You I'm shut sorry. your mouth. I'm sorry. <laughs> so it's the end of spooky season for us here. Last week. Last week of October. Um, I mean, it's always spooky season in my heart. <laughs> but you look like Beetlejuice today. So. That was the goal. <laughs> I started singing, hi. I'll be your guide. Your oh G-U-I-D-E to the other side. And like... How, oh, Molly? <laughs> it's a musical now. I know it is. And I felt that impression was pretty spot on. Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the Beetlejuice musical is one of the uh, Broadway COVID tragedies. Like, I don't think right. it really got a full run. And then they ended up just closing it because... It Which never... is sad. Yeah. Which, I will go see it if you get it running again. I would love to see it. Okay, so um, synopsis. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, this book, part thriller, part historical mm-hmm. fiction, part horror, part medical dramas, is the Bone Gardens. And I don't know that I would. I don't know that I would agree with the horror category, but I agree with all those other ones. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to okay. that. <laughs> but the Bone Gardens definitely fits into spooky season with all these oh, little yeah. beautiful parts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so we start in modern day where we meet Julia, a divorcee, who is using her summer break to start a garden in a home she built, bought for herself after the divorce. Mm-hmm. While digging, she discovers bones in her garden. Mm-hmm. Then we flash back to 1830 where we meet Rose Connolly and Norris Marshall. She's 16, 17, and has just lost her sister, and he is a medical student at Harvard. Mm-hmm. Their paths keep crossing as the Western not, Reaper. Not at Harvard, at Boston Medical College. Sorry. My bad. Their paths keep crossing as the Western Reaper has somehow gotten both of them in their sights. Mm-hmm. The story bounces back and forth between their timeline and julia's timeline until we come to a point at the end where we will learn how the stories intersect yeah (laughs) oh boy um so i wanted i have a quick note i copied and pasted in my notes um tess grishin's bio because she is just so like wow between the yeah. historical stuff and the medical stuff, I was just, wow. Well, she, she writes the Rizzoli and Isles series, and right. uh, Isles has a cameo in this book. This book yes. is not a part of that series, but right. she does have a cameo She um has She did her undergrad at Stanford. She went mm-hmm. to med school at University of California, San Francisco, and that's where she got her MD. Um, she has her MD? Yeah. She, uh, she was a working physician when she became a writer and her first novel came out in 1987. Mm. Call Me After Midnight, a romantic thriller it was. And then after that, she wrote a screenplay for, in 1993 for CBS movies called The Drift. I don't remember that. It starred Kate Jackson. But then her first medical thriller came out in 1996 and then after that, it just started rolling. And that's mm-hmm. when she retired from medicine, when she started making a living on the writing. Um, she has won several awards. The Neuro Wolf Award, the Rita Award, 
and lots of praise from big deal like pub in publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also got accolades in pub filmmaking, I guess, and um, she lives in Maine. I just thought it was really interesting how she took the time to go to med school, and she's like, you know what? Fuck that shit. I'm gonna write. <laughs> I don't know why, but that whole bio made me think of the episode of Grey's Anatomy when Christina Yang says, double doctors, don't go to second-rate medical schools or something like that. And I I don't know why, because she's not a double doctor, but I just kept thinking double doctors. So, um, let's dive in, shall we? We shall. Um, So, I want to first start off with saying, wow. I, so many characters. There's so a many lot of characters. So many characters. And I normally struggle to keep track of mm-hmm. when there's this many characters in a book. Yeah. But I feel like um Tess, the author, and mm-hmm. the um I'll put I don't know the audiobook narrator's name. Yeah. Um, but I'll put it in the link in the bio. But they did such a fantastic job of keep, keeping each voice. Yeah, and I felt like um, even though the names were appropriate for the time, they were also different that I was able to keep track that way. It was smart writing. Um, It was very smart writing. I feel like, and I get it, I get the whole, like, Julia business, and it helps tie into her Rizzolian Isles, but I just kind of felt like that part of the story was unnecessary. Like I could have read the whole book taking place in the 1830s. And that's my, for this book. Um, Because you feel like Julia's storyline's unnecessary. I don't think it matters. Yeah, I don't. Um, I actually, I am not a big reader of historical fiction. Um, I've read a few that I like, but it's not really my jam. Um, It's not my genre. I, I, when I was younger, I went through this phase where I really liked reading like, um, Holocaust lit, which is morbid. I don't get it, but, um, I did, I, okay. I think I, I first like read number of the stars and that kind of mm-hmm. like hooked me in. Right. Um, but like historical fiction, isn't like really the thing that I gravitate towards, but in this particular book, I feel like there could have been so much more of that. Like I would have liked to just live in the 1830s of this book and, um, I feel like we got a lot of history, though, from this book. Oh, my gosh, we did. And I feel like the medical history in it was just so fascinating. Right. And I love, absolutely love, that one of the main characters in this book is Oliver Wendell Holmes. Oliver Wendell Holmes. Yeah. So, I mean, I I mean, there were so many throwbacks to, like, things that people of the time were doing. Right. So, they even... um, The poetry, talking about, like... The poetry. They talk about... That up-and-coming writer, Nathaniel Hawthorne. Now, I can't stand the Starlet Letter. It's like, it's I hate it's, it. It's garbage. I hate it awful. so much. Um, it's but, a hard read, period. And I think, I, I blame English teachers for this. They, like, beat the symbolism out of you in right. that book. And, um, anyway, so, but it's so interesting because it, like, you know, brings in that, you know, mm-hmm. this is actually what was happening at the time. I had never heard of childbed fever. Um, Which I went down the rabbit hole on, and I have a whole section about, so oh, okay. I want to well, talk I'll about hold, it. I'll hold back on that. But, I, I, yeah, I feel like I could have lived in the 1830s in this book. Like, I, not, like, actually live there. Like, I, I want the more of the 1830s and less of the 
present day. Um, oh, story. I liked it. I think we get more of the reasoning at the end. Why I, we have the yeah, but two. I thought that was kind of a cop out. Like, really, I, I feel like you thought it was lazy writing. Yes, I did. I feel like this was a way for her to connect to an existing fan base with the Rizzolian mm-hmm. Isles. Um, because, you know, we talked about this with um, Emily Giffen. She yeah. reused a lot of her characters in, in all of her books. And so if you're a fan of the Something Borrowed series, then you might end up reading Baby Proof because you know that Rachel yeah, and Dex make an appearance in, in it. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that's where that came instead of just living in that like letting that book just breathe be, and live and be and on its own. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I did like the book. I was surprised because um, I actually texted you after, shortly after I started it. I, I was, like, was okay, shocked you liked it. Okay. This one is like legit scary. I'm like afraid because I'm home in my shower and I'm scared. Okay. But I did. I, I did like it. Um, and, and texted our, our good friend, nurse Katie and told Which her we she should, should read it. Which we should have definitely had Nurse Katie on at least for a portion of this so we could have talked about the medical history because this stuff is wild. Yeah. Well, I, I am interested to hear what she has to say. So maybe we'll um, do a, re- a a bonus episode or something. <laughs> or just tell you all next week after yeah. we talk to What Katie. Katie says. Yeah. Have a record a video note <laughs> or something. She probably would. Um, um, anyway, I'm sorry. I, I went on a tangent. But those, those are, are my right. thoughts on this book. Um I, I, uh, yeah, I, that's my biggest criticism is that like, I didn't, I don't even mind books that like jump timelines, but I just felt like this one didn't need it. it didn't need it. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so do you think this book has multiple main characters or just one? Well, I mean, I think you can make the argument that the, that the main characters in the book are Norris and Rose mm-hmm. and, um, Julia. And I mean, I guess. Tom, but I think I we're supposed know. to think, I think we're supposed to think it's Henry. I don't um, know. It feels like, I don't know. I felt like I never got a grasp on who we're supposed to be paying attention to the most. And see, that's, that's what I mean by it could have just let it exist in the 1830s because to me, the main character of all of this is Rose. I mean, even in the present day where Julia and Henry and Tom are trying to learn the history of Julia's house, they're learning about Rose. Right. So I would, I mean, you could argue that Rose is the main character. Right. What do you think? What do you think? I want to think Rose is the main character, Uh but I feel like since we started out in Julia's timeline and Julia Mm -hmm. is our main driving voice, she Mm -hmm. is the intended main character. Is Mm -hmm. she the main character? I don't think so. If, Anyone gives me main character energy, it's Meggie. That baby is well, the center point of that book. I mean, that's an interesting point because the letters that we read, that Julia and Henry are reading, that are from Oliver Wendell Holmes, they are written to Meggie. But yep. I think it's hard to make her the main character because we only actually see her in the book like for maybe a couple of pages yeah and only for a couple of pages it's like okay she's born her mom dies of childbed fever rose is now raising her and then the few times that she visits her at the nursery with the wet nurse like that's really the gist of but we're talking about her the whole time they're talking about her in the past they're talking about in their present everything that's happening like 
But it could be, it could be anything. I feel like it doesn't have to be a person. Like it could have been about the necklace or it could have been like, she's more of an object than she is a main character. Okay. I think we'll agree to disagree on this one. (laughs) Not like that's never happened before. (laughs) Or it'll happen again. Right. Um, do you, okay. So we talked about Isles. Do you think she brought that in as like a tongue in cheek nod to her other books? Or do you think she's like, you know what? I need this to get people to read this book. Probably both. Um, <clears throat> I think there's a, I mean, I'm not a writer in the way that you're a writer. I'm a writer in that I say I'm a writer and I don't work on a book for eight years. And then I'm like, oh, but I have this book that I have written two chapters of. So I'm not a writer like you are. But I think that there is some comfort in knowing your characters completely. And she right. knows Dr. Isles. She right. knows her. Right. Um, I would even, I mean, I don't know her Tess's whole story, but I'm guessing that there's characteristics of, of that doctor that are a part of her. Right. Um, and so I think it's a nod to the familiarity for her, but also you've got a built-in fan base yeah. So, I mean, and author, that cow. authors do this all the time. I, not just Emily Giffen. Um, you can make the argument that that's why um, Jasmine Gillian, The um, Wedding Date, that book is the first book in a series where each the leads in The Wedding Date are friends with the people in the next book, and then the yeah. next book's going to the next book, and so on and so forth. Well, there's a ser- series that's like. Uh, the first one I think is called, um, nope, I can't remember what the first one's called. There's one called Beauty and the Geek, and it's a whole, like, series of books oh, that are, like, yeah. modern day. That? Geekerella, that's the first yeah. one. And the characters keep re- reappearing, and then their modern day takes on fairy tales. They're actually pretty decent. Uh, and, I mean, you get spinoff series all the time. I mean, Suzanne Collins wrote um, uh, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Yeah as a prequel to um, the Hunger Games and then laid so thickly in there, the symbolism that this is a relative of Katniss. Um, it's a complete throwback, you know? So right. I can see both sides of it. Um, so let's move on to Walleye Jack. Okay. Hang on. Let me clarify who that is because I think, is that the grave robber guy? Yes. Yes. My notes literally say the grave robber guy because I could not for the life of me remember his name. Walleye um, Jack because, you Walleye know, they Jack. don't know where to look when they're talking to him. Oh, uh, that's what that means. Um, so he calls himself a resurrectionist, mm-hmm. but that doesn't make what he's doing anything less gross. Right. And I get this vibe. He's a grave ex- robber. Right, right. Bottom line, he's a grave robber. He mm-hmm. calls himself a resurrectionist. But... Mm-hmm. The way he talks to when not Wendell, um, Norris. Norris, Norris about like one of the bodies, it, I definitely got a vibe. He has molested a corpse or two, and mm. it just makes the character even more creepy. Like this guy is gross, right? Yeah. So well, I, I want to talk about him for a little bit. His long term goal, like his life's goal, is to save up enough money that he's. Like, not his body cannot be stolen. He's going to be completely, like, cemented all the way in. He's got a cage, and he's going to be cemented in. And he's going to have a watcher for the first 30 days. So that by the time that his body is rotted, that nobody can take it. 
So that tells me that he, what he is doing in his profession grosses him out a lot too. Like he doesn't want people like him taking his body. Well, but it's not about taking the body that bothers him. It's the anatomist. Right. It's being cut open and being examined and being treated as this object of ogling. And people don't necessarily realize this. And this is one of the things I enjoy that the book went into. They didn't, they don't necessarily realize that, um, when medicine was still in its infancy, and I don't know if I can even call the 1800s its infancy, but modern medicine, I guess. Yeah. The start there, of modern medicine. Yeah. Right. There weren't people like donating their body to, body science. to science. No. That's not what was happening. So medical colleges were paying students, they were paying resurrectionists um, to literally go and steal corpses out of grave. grave. Yep. Yeah. So that they had specimens to examine. Um, and as we learned from Walleye Jack, they weren't even above murdering people so that they would have Walleye Jack. I got a I got a question about that. But Okay. Um well in the story we learned that it's legal for them to ship them from New- like New York and in the South, it was illegal for them to have bodies given off for science. But Boston mm-hmm being a more Catholic and, mm-hmm. um, right. you know, more religious colony, air mm-hmm. quote, um, it was, you know, frowned upon a lot more to yeah. do something like that. Well, so I'm not, I'm not sure how Catholic at the time Boston was. Protestant, it, maybe? Well, yeah, but it seems like anyone who was Catholic was Irish, and they Irish. were really discriminated against. Oh, so. hell yeah. Um, um, but, but yeah, it, I don't know if you know this, but if you are Catholic, you have to be buried within three days of dying and you have to be buried in consecrated ground. Um, that is one of their beliefs, uh, that is a part of your faith and how you have an afterlife in heaven. Yeah. Um, and so like, yeah, they definitely would not have wanted that. So like Rose's sister, um, oh, I forgot her name. Arnia. Arnia. Uh, Jack actually steals Arnia's body, which right from the freaking of, of, of all the porch of the freaking right. But of all the ones that were there, like he just randomly selected Arnia's, like whatever. But um, but Arnia is never buried then. So like because what of, happened like, to her, her body? Beliefs, yeah, what, because of her beliefs. Then if Rose would have known the truth, I mean that would have been horrific. Oh, devastating. Norris never tells her. No, but they had other problems. Um, they did. I think I think Jack got his like just desserts in the end though, because mm-hmm. like you know he gets caught. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get to the spoiler part of that. He gets caught in the end, and he mm-hmm. goes to jail, and he knows he's going to get hanged. And guess what happens to criminals who are hung? They are dead. They go to the unanimous stable. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not going to. I know we're going to probably talk about who he's convicted of killing in the end, but he's not solely responsible for that murder, but he no. definitely murdered people in the books. Yeah, so. He was definitely a bad dude. He definitely was not good. Like, um, I have a note about it, but look, we'll jump into it now since we're talking about it. Like him and his wife mm-hmm. killing like the patrons. Yeah. Is like, he they doesn't do, I think. Right. Well, they, well one was they, already dead. Yeah. They kill one and one's already dead. Yeah. That's but it. I have a feeling they were just showing a few. Yeah. One, the sailor, but I feel like that's happened yeah. more than once. Right. Um, so I'm going to jump into 
a question about symbolism. Okay. Rose and Julia are both the youngest siblings. We meet Julia's older sister who comes to tell her the bad news about her ex-husband. We mm-hmm. meet, you know, we uh, the whole reason Rose came to the States was to be with Arnia. Do you think there's, like, the author's using some sort of symbolism here early on? Like, making uh, both the characters, both our main characters, I'm going to air quote that, um, being the youngest siblings? I mean, I think that's a little far-fetched. I mean, sure, whatever. Um, but I, I kind of think, like, I don't think their lives aligned that much that, spoiler, they're basically the same person. Like, I don't, when they, when they kind of made that, the, the twist at the end, I was like, what the, what? No, no. Good, I can't wait to hear what you say about that, because I have a couple note, uh, a couple questions about it. <laughs> um. So moving on. <laughs> so um in the few first few chapters, Arnia dies. It's very sad, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and then Arnia ends up on the anonymous table and mm-hmm. there is she is being autopsied for class. It mm-hmm. is traumatizing for everyone in the room. Even right. later on, we learned that it was traumatizing for um, for Dr. Grenville, right? Like, everyone Grenville. was upset, yeah, right? So, yeah, I feel like I, as a reader, was traumatized by that scene. It was upsetting for me. It hurt m- my heart. How did you feel about that scene? Well, I mean, as we've already established in previous episodes, I don't do well with ick. And that no. is quite ick. Um, I texted it very, our... It was very... Um, yeah. Graphic gross. and um, realistic. I texted our friend, Nurse Katie, to ask her if in nursing school, and because Katie is a nurse practitioner, like if she yes. had to also do dissections the way that they do in medical school, um, because... I mean, essentially, a nurse practitioner is the doctor. I mean, they don't have the same title, but she can prescribe meds. She has her own patients, like, you know. Right. Um, so, anyway, so I, I I, think, here's the weird thing. I kept thinking about the show Bones, because I love okay. that show. As much as I don't like gross things, I love that show Bones. Um, and so, it kind of made me think about that. Um, what I really liked from this was how, through the letters... Um, Tom and Julia were discovering that that was, I mean, this is fiction based, but that right. was where Oliver Wendell Holmes first started thinking that big picture, what, what was happening was actually uh, that the doctors were spreading the issue. Right. Um, and so what was so gross about the autopsy was that, um, Childbed fever essentially is an infection in the uterus that women are getting after giving birth. Um, And I don't know if you have a note about this, and I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead, but um, the doctors were examining the women who are all in the same ward, lying next to each other, without washing their hands in between, and they weren't using gloves because we're in the 1830s and that wasn't a thing. So by the time they got to Arnia, she was the last patient, and the, they just wiped their hands on a towel. 
lot of the gick that are in it. So basically they're taking the infection from one person and literally putting it in another person's vagina. Um, so when and, Arnie, sorry, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. Um, so I was in my readings. I have a, uh, link I'm going to share and I'm going to read a thing from the book. They were going from the anatomy table straight mm-hmm. into treating patients. Yes. So they weren't even washing their hands. So the no. bacteria from dead bodies right. was going right into a woman's uterus. Right. right. This is why. And and then we see that actually play out um, with Charlie uh, right. who um, cuts himself while he's dissecting Arnia and ends up getting a massive infection and has to have his arm amputated. So yeah. a lot of the horror of what was happening in that um, dissection scene of Arnia was they had already established a relationship with her because they knew her sister and they knew her from the ward. So that was right. one thing. Number two, um, like they describe the way childbed fever is like a massive infection that smells bad. Um, and so like Rancid. gross. Yeah. And I mean, you and I have both given birth. So there's a lot of like, I totally died. In there's the a lot of stuff that has to come out of your body after. Yeah. So it's already really gross. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I, the part of it that was fascinating to me was like them realizing, oh, like we're doing this. We're making these women sick. Right. They were surviving if they were at home giving birth. Right. Right. And one doctor says the reason that the Irish aren't getting sick was he said in the book they're a hardier stock when they're what they're hardier stock because they have to you know because of the poverty right because mm-hmm. they're so which was false well, and there's lovely stereotypes about Irish families right right that they're always really large and which was false because they're one they were I mean they are hardier stock but the reason they were not dying was because they weren't going to the hospital because they couldn't afford it. Right, so, in the hospital. So since we're and, talking about this... Um, wait, one, one second, sorry. though. I want to just say that it is a perfect example of, like, men in a position of power deciding that what is happening to women is not... It, it is a fault of their own. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, my like, God. Yeah, they blame the but women. The men, the men were causing the problem. <laughs> that is the worst mansplaining of all time. So is. <laughs> <laughs> so since we're talking about this, um, I'm going to put, this is the link I'm going to talk about is from Dartmouth Medical Magazine. Mm-hmm. It, and the title of it is The Most Unspeakable Terror. And it goes on, it's written by three doctors. Um, mm-hmm. And it goes on to talk about the tragedy of what happens in childhood fever, how they came to discover it. But mm-hmm. in the end of the book, she actually mm-hmm. has an author's note I'd like to read. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't get to read the author's note because I uh, did the audiobook, so I'd like to hear it. Uh, my audiobook had it. You didn't have it didn't have it at the end? Maybe and I just didn't do it. Oh. Because I was like, oh, done. <laughs> um, author's note. Also possible. <laughs> In March 1833, Oliver Wendell Holmes left Boston and sailed to France, where he would spend the next two years completing his medical studies at the renowned Elko de Medical, whatever, I'm sorry, in Paris. Young Holmes had access to unlimited number of anatomy specimens, and he studied under some of the finest med- medical and scientific minds in the world. He returned to Boston, a far more accomplished physician than most of his American peers. 
1843 at Boston Society of Medical Improvement, he presented a paper titled The Contagiousness of Puritile Fever. It would prove to be his greatest contribution to American medicine. It introduces a new practice that now seems obvious, but which in Holmes' days was a radical new idea. Countless lives were saved and miseries avoided by his simple yet revolutionary suggestion that physicians should simply wash their hands. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I did hear that in the audiobook. Um, I, I was thinking while I was listening to that part um, – about how similar that is when COVID first uh, right. reached right. the U.S. and in March of 2020, it's like wow. And, and then there were all so. all the right. There were all <laughs> these studies about how infrequently we actually do wash our hands, and I was like, ew, people are gross. Right. Well, right. and now we have things like hand sanitizer, and a lot of doctors use that when they go in a room, but there are a lot of studies that show that hand sanitizer usage, it desensitizes your hands, and it's actually still much cleaner to just use soap and water. Water, yeah. Um, it's just wild. And then, like, the talking Gross. about bleeding of people, so in there, they also bleed people to remove mm-hmm. infection, which mm-hmm. we've learned now in modern day that that as well mm-hmm. isn't um well i mean i don't know efficient. i don't know that it doesn't work at all i think it can weaken your immune system and so like therefore it wouldn't help i mean katie's probably going to kill me for this but i mean if you have an infection infection in like a sore on your arm for example they will cut the it open and scrub it out a whole lot right so that it can heal up but you are essentially bleeding it it's just not right. the same way as like let's cut them open and let and blood, the blood just out. spill out right well right. and they were using leeches back then too which mm-hmm. leeches is still used they're today, still used yeah um like to bring blood flow back to the top of the skin that kind of thing yeah but, especially with like frostbite right mm-hmm. right which we're talking about the same uh, Grey's Anatomy scene with George, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I totally was picturing that episode with George. That's so funny. Oh um, but they so, really do do that. Like, I knew that. Yes. It wasn't because of Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. <laughs> um, Grace just helped me realize things I already knew. Uh, quote me on that. <laughs> In chapter 14, Norris almost dies, right? Mm-hmm. The Reaper is, like, right there. And he mm-hmm. narrowly escapes and then becomes what everybody assumes is the Reaper, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they all accuse him of being the Reaper. Right. I, I mean, it. it makes a lot of sense that it would have been him. He lived close to where everybody was being murdered. He had the history. Did you think it was him for a while? No. And the reason was because I knew it would be a character that we weren't getting. Expecting. We we weren't getting it in in. Um, an inside look into their life. I, I didn't think it was going to be, am I going to give it away if I, Um, I have a whole conversation about it planned, but we can talk about it now if you want. Um, I didn't think it was going to be, what the heck is her name? Eliza. Eliza. Okay. I didn't actually think it was going to be her. I thought it was going to be Charlie. Oh, Um, I, okay. That was who I assumed it was originally too, was Charles. When Charles, Charles, sorry. When he lost his arm, I was kind of like, oh, okay, well maybe this is really going to cut down on his murdering. Right. It's going (laughs) to cut the murder in half because he's half a, yeah. Um, I mean, it would have made sense 
being forced to do medicine even though mm-hmm. you don't want to and so you take it out. I mean, that would make a logical, like, linear yeah. sense. And the other person I suspected was um, the head of the Night Watch, not the one that was the dickhead, but the other um, guy, like the head. Hold on. I got him. Okay, so Constable Lyons. Yes, that was the other one I suspected because he was never around when they needed him. <laughs> like, we learn later, which I'll, you know, I'll jump to that later. Um, so let's jump into chapter 21. Uh, Henry just, Julia has just found Henry unconscious. Um, unconscious mm-hmm. And uh, she finally gets him to the hospital and then. We learned mm-hmm. that the neighbor with the dog is also the grand nephew. Right. So Tom. Tom. Tom which yeah. you couldn't remember his name. <laughs> yes. Yeah, side note, <laughs> listeners. I was texting Molly as I was taking my notes and I was like, what was the name of the grand nephew that Julia likes? And I'm like, she Molly's giving me ideas and she's like, I can't remember him at the grocery store. I'll look when I get home. So I just rewind the audiobook and I hear Tom and I'm like, you think it's I like, would have remembered that? Right. Right. <laughs> excuse me oh but um so my question mm-hmm. in chapter 21 after henry tom and julia make it back to henry's house tom says a thing on page 217 he insinuates that um he feels like he knows julia where does he knows julia from and then this makes me think the author is insinuating that in a past life julia was rose and tom was norris what do you yeah. think yeah that's absolutely what she was insinuating um, and we know that because um, Rose sees the portrait of Dr. Grenville. Is that how you yep, say it? Yep, Dr. Grenville, the young Grenville. Which, because I like, was listening to it and not reading it. I had Dr. Grendel in my notes. So Dr. Grenville, um, he is, a, it's a portrait of him from he was like around Norris's age. Well, spoiler alert, Norris is actually his biological son. Right, um, and then later... When at the end we see the portrait again through Julia mm-hmm. and Henry's eyes, and they're mm-hmm. like, "Holy shit, that's Tom!" Right, but it makes sense because Maggie was also Doctor Grenville's daughter, right. and they're related so, to Maggie in so this long line. This is yeah. He Norris is Maggie's like I don't know four or five great something or other, right. Um, Norris, her, not Norris. Norris was her sibling. Norris was her sibling, right? But so what they're saying is that Norris looked like Doctor Grenville, and so then generations down the road, it's right. Possible. Well, everybody's going to always um, look like Doctor Grenville eventually, right? All right. roads lead back to the whore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Homeboy couldn't keep it in his pants. Let's not lie. Um, (laughs) I was not uh, expecting that. (laughs) Um, So everything leading up to the amputation of Charles's arm, I mean, Mm -hmm. well, forearm, right? They amputate like his Mm -hmm. forearm area. It's really sad. There's so much going on here from the emotions of everyone in the room and how through the... Hang on. I'm sorry. Can we just go back to the question we were just talking about? Yes, because, because here's the weird thing that just popped into my head. If Tom is several generations Grenville later yeah. and Julia is Rose, then Maggie 
is related to both of them. So they're distantly cousins. (laughs) Yay, science! We're all slightly related. Isn't that, like, genetically? I mean, what happens? I mean, they're all from Boston. It has to happen, right? I don't know. My family was immigrated here when my grandfather was a kid. So, and Tom's half Mari. So I don't. don't Tom's half what? I'm sorry. Say that again. Mari. Not, he's not half Mari. He's uh, fourth, I think. Oh, okay. I don't know. I don't know math. His grandmother was Mari. Okay. Um, So I don't think we're related. (laughs) See, my family, everyone has a version of this face. Piper has this face. My mom has this face. My grandmother had this face. Her mother had this face. There is, if somebody has this face, I know we're related. It's the only way I know. Yeah. Well, Molly, I'm still pretty convinced that we are related. I mean, you do have this face. It's just a different variation of this face. That's a good point. point. I have eyebrows. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm sorry. That just occurred to me. And actually, it occurred to me while I was listening to it, too. And that was one of the reasons why I was like, okay, this was dumb. So basically, you did this whole thing. It was like lazy writing to you. Well, I don't know. I guess. I don't know that I would define it as lazy lazy writing. It just seems unnecessary. Like several different generations later, we found each other again in our ancestors, but like um, you're related to each other at this point. So that's gross. (laughs) But it's so diluted. I think it's okay. (laughs) They're not like second cousins. They're like 18th cousins. God bless you. I made you sneeze. Look at that. Mm. Okay. Okay. So now we need to talk about Mexican Gothic again, because now you have justified (laughs) incest. No, it's different. I'm just not sure what to do anymore. I'm not sure where we're going. It's different. Like geneticists have said, there is a good chance most people on this planet are related somehow. Genetically. Hmm. So avoiding being like, what are people? Okay, but they don't need to be related in the same book. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but what i'm saying is is it, this is different from mexican gothic what i'm saying is is what are you gonna do like have everybody take genetic tests before they date like I don't preventative know. <laughs> i don't know aren't there states that require that though okay we're getting way off topic Wait, sorry. okay moving on sorry. Sorry, <laughs> let's man. go to charles's amputation shall we yeah everything leading up to this is really sad right mm-hmm. charles is hiding his injury he's there yeah. there's just so much going on like there's downstairs upstairs stuff going on at the house mm-hmm. and from the emotions of everyone in the room to the how crude the actual amputation is mm-hmm. the the whole scene is wild right? right and my strong stomach who can handle this medical stuff got queasy from it yeah it did how did you feel about the seat it didn't sit well with me either um i think um so Charles wasn't great at medicine, but since his uncle was like this great doctor, um, his uncle was pushing him into medicine. And I almost feel like the infection that he got made him ashamed. Like, I can't be a good doctor if I'm going to get these infections while I'm trying to dissect somebody. Right. And then also, I think part of him knew that if he let it go, he could get out of medicine. Right. And then when they're like trying it. to cut his, and then when they're like, about to do the amputation, he's like, Uncle, I'll never be a doctor if you do this. Like, he puts it back on him. It's really sad. Right. And, like, at the end, we learn he died of syphilis. 
from being like this big romantic uh, poet. (laughs) I just thought it was funny that this man was he he based on a real person? Like, I think so. I think so. Keep asking Uh, questions. Um. So. The death of Eben Eben comes as no surprise, I feel, to the readers. But we get the voice in the POV of the first time for the first time of the West End Reaper for this quick interaction. Do you at this point know who the Reaper is or have an idea? Um, Did you make an assumption during that little thing? I mean, I legit thought that um, that the West End Reaper was Charlie Charles. Charles. I I mean, I thought that for most of the. most of the book i thought his aversion to um okay it doesn't look like it, it charles was lackaway was real oh lackaway was his last name okay lackaway. Um, uh i thought that his aversion to it was kind of an act and um that he actually was more murdery than he wanted to let on it doesn't seem like it's based on a real person. I'll do more research, and if the, if it is oh, based on a real person, I'll put a link. But okay. um, I, I think it. I th- I thought his aversion to it was more like, um, I, I mean, I don't know how to explain it, but I just thought like medically. Oh, okay. I'll use myself as an example. Not that okay. I'm a murderer. I don't like medical currently. Stuff. It currently, it really grosses me out. Um, I don't like the descriptions of it, but I love to watch bones and see all that grossness. And I'll be like sitting there eating my breakfast cereal and like, mm, what's going on there? Like, and that doesn't bother me. So I feel like that's what it was to me. Like he didn't like the medical stuff, but he could certainly murder someone. Right. I'm not a murderer. I feel. Like I well. Again. <laughs> Being that at this point we already have had the mysterious British dude, right? Come for Eben. And the mysterious British dude then also talked to Rose. And I thought, I knew that in my mind, I was like, oh, this guy is being hired by Dr. Um, Grenville. That mm-hmm. was my assumption, right? Like, I was like, Dr. Grenville hired this guy. You thought that? Yeah, I thought Dr. Grenville had hired this guy. I think he was just cleaning messes up, right? And so I was like, oh, Grenville's doing this. So I thought it was the uncle. I thought it was the old dude killing people. Well, that made sense, too, because I couldn't figure out what Charles would get the money to hire the guy. But I just, I kind of thought maybe he was, the uncle was involved in that part. Yeah. Um, But I, yeah, I really thought Charles was the murderer. Um. It's a nice twist that it was his mom. Right. Um, I don't, be- sort. I sort of don't believe it. Uh, I mean, I'm she had the it. knowledge base. Her parent, her dad was a doctor. Her brother's a doctor. Her husband was a doctor. It all lines up that she would have the knowledge. And Does the- it though? Does it though? They, they, made they, talk, to me. they talk explicitly about how it had to be someone that had experience with butchering as well. Right. Right. Well, maybe she worked in the kitchen a little bit. And we and we never got an example. We never got an answer for why everything was like in the shape of a cross. Like why it was specifically that. Because her hus- her brother was a dirty, dirty bastard, and having children out of wedlock. Oh, I forgot that murder fixes that problem. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know her life. <laughs> um. So let's move on. 
Uh, Norris's father is heartbreaking and cruel simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think... Okay, so at this point, when we're at the farm with Rose and everything, mm-hmm. we don't know anything that has happened to Norris's mother at all. We think she's Do, in Paris. We think she's in Paris. Or we're told she's in Paris. Do you mm-hmm. think, she, by the way the father's acting and the way he talks about this note and how he couldn't read and he had one of the neighbors read it for him... Do you think she's dead? Or do you think, I mean, like... I thought it was strange what that did she you think? left him... I thought it was strange that she left him, left Norris while he was sick. And that her excuse for doing it was because he deserved better. Um, but then I also thought, well, maybe she just had... Like, there... I mean, there are moms... Let's use the example from Fangirl. She just thought she was a bad mom and couldn't handle it, so she left. Right. Um... I don't know. I I really didn't think she was dead. I thought she was hanging out in Paris and doing her thing, you know? Um, I I think that the reason that Norris's dad was the man that he was was because he was broken. Like, he right. was broken from what happened. Um, he felt like he felt like they had love and that they had this relationship and then all right. of a sudden and then she, she just gone. disappeared. Yeah. And I, and I don't think that that... Um, it's not Norris's fault, but how do you look at somebody who's a product of that relationship when you're grieving? I mean, he's grieving the loss of his wife, of the relationship with his wife. He's also trying to take care of a kid, and I don't think he ever bounced back. So it was no. like a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't feel sorry for him because you shouldn't treat your kids like dirt, and he did treat Norris like dirt. But then I also feel bad for him because we find out that, in fact, she hadn't left, but, you know. Right. So and that so he he actually ended up thinking the worst of his wife, the, the you know forever. right, which is which saddest part of this whole thing is we late we finally figure out when the house is built that the house that used to be there before was burnt down it was burned right and it was, it was Dr. Grenville's uh, summer home right and um, Norris's mother had went there to get help. Because her son was sick. And right. Eliza ended up killing her. So we learn that the body in the garden was Norris's mom. Norris's mom. The saddest part of this whole thing, they never get closure mm-hmm. or know that it was her. Right? right? right. Nobody knows. Eliza. Well, Rose figures it out because she hears... Um, was it Rose that figured it out or was it Dr. Yeah, well, Rose said that, like, she was tired. She, because Eliza was yelling at Charles to go back in the house when they were loading the. Right. He, she said, Rose overhears the, I did this 10 years ago, too. Right. And I, I cleaned up my brother's messes. I'm going to have a whole, like, question about right. it. I yeah. cleaned up my brother's messes before. Mm-hmm. And so. She, um, she was much more murdery this time, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, too it, well. It's too many witnesses, right? Yeah. That's um, true. So then, as we're at the farm, the Night's Watch come and they take Norris. Why do you think she picked Norris as a setup? Like, why do you think the Reaper was like, you know what? Well, there there was already speculation that he was involved, and there was already all these biases surrounding him that he was. Uh, a farm boy trying to live in a gentleman's world. Right. Um, it was, he was an easy target. He was an easy mm-hmm. target. Bottom um, line. So, 
Yeah, I mean, that's all it was. The Night Watch already had their biases. The community already had their biases. So it made sense. Yeah. I mean, and a third prong to that is, you know, eventually someone's going to figure out that he's freaking Dr. Grinville's kid. He looks just like him, right? Well, nobody seemed to, like, know that probably because of how old Dr. Grenville was at the time. Until Rose saw that damn picture. I mean, it's always easier to blame the outsider, right? Right. He's the outsider in their community, so it's a lot easier to blame him. Right. Um, So uh, let's jump into the – let's talk about Eliza and Dr. Grenville, and then I'll jump into a few more questions I have. Okay. Um, So Dr. Grenville's obviously a whore. You know – he, he keeps knocking people up, right? Mm-hmm. And if, his sister even says to his her son, I have keep having to clean up your uncle's messes. Okay, but he's only done that. I, I, I mean, he's only knocked up two women. That we and know well, of. Well, no, he was pretty certain that that was it. Like, he had had a relationship with Norris's mom while he was still married. Right. And then after his wife deceased, was deceased, then it was... Uh, Arnia. So yeah. there wasn't, there weren't other women in there. It was just those two. Okay, yeah, I guess that's true. It just feels horish behavior for the times, huh? Don't, don't sl- slut shame, slut shame him. Though. Don't kink chain the birds. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you had no, we had no clue it was Eliza. Until mm-hmm. this whole scene, there was mm-hmm. no clue, right? Nothing, nothing. And, and her behavior, she's saying it's to protect Charles. She the, wants to protect the money, not Charles. Right. Well, Charles's inheritance, right? Because right. her husband was poor. Like, you had no clue, right? That it was Eliza? Yeah. I didn't, no. Um, but I will say... Uh, even after that was the resolution, I sort of felt like it didn't make sense. Right. Like, it was a good twist, I guess, but it didn't make sense to me. Um, she's not described as that big of a woman, and mm-hmm. she's murdered, at least at this time, we have a body count of, what, five? Right. Two well, nurses, and- two nurses, a prostitute, um, the, the doctor, the doctor, and then Norris's mom. So that's five. And then Eden, so six. And Dim Billy. Yeah, but at that point, it hadn't happened yet. Right. So six, and then she killed Billy and tried to kill Rose. Rose, right. So, I mean, like, she already had six body counts before the end of the book when we find out that she's the murderer. And um, I I just didn't really buy it. Like, to me, it wasn't, I mean, it was a good twist because I didn't expect her, but it just seemed unlikely. Like, she's Hmm. a serial killer. Essentially. Yeah, she is a serial killer. She's I mean, that definitely wasn't a, a reaper. That wasn't a term at the time, serial killer, but um, she's a serial killer. Right. So, um, I don't know. I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I will like, I will say I liked that um, the counter side to her, the murdery woman that she was, the other side of that is Dr. Grenville. Okay, sure, he impregnated two women out of wedlock, but he was also an abolitionist. He's a part yep. of this great group of people who are basically the running Pelican. the under 
they're yep. running the underground railroad. Yep. Um, like they are physicians who are trying to make things and better. like people in laws, like right because mm-hmm. the constable was there. Yeah, I mean there were a lot of really like important people who were doing this, mm-hmm. and Dr. Grenville wasn't. Like, there was another doctor that was kind of an ass. That, like, whatever he said... Like, oh, Watchman Pratt. No, no, not officer. Sorry, doctor. There was another oh. doctor. The one that died. I can't remember his name. Oh, I can't um, either. But, oh, wait. Dr. Sewell? Yeah, so he was kind of an ass. Like, he was, he knew everything and nobody else knew anything. And he's the one that, like, um, basically killed Arnia inadvertently. Yeah. Um, whereas Dr. Grenville, he was, like, a good guy. I mean, yeah. okay, questionable morals in some ways, but he was like a good guy. Like he was trying to make the world better, and he was trying to do uh, and then, what and then he his thought was best. Mur- yeah, and then his sister's a murderer, so right. it's just a interesting bound, uh, other Proof. side. You know, you can do everything right and have a good kid and a bad kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, um, so Oliver Wendell Holmes pieces this all together, right? Mm-hmm. And the only reason he pieces this all together is because of the chatty freaking sisters, right? Yep. And well, he doesn't piece together that Norris is also Grenville, right? Son, but he figured but- out Arnia was the girl, right? Right. And he mm-hmm. starts doing mental math, and he's like, "Oh shit!" Um, yeah, that's that's. And he thinks that Grenville is the West End Reaper, like that's right. What he thinks. And and I think that was a good um, misdirection. Like I was like, oh, so it's not Charles; it is Doctor Grenville. Right. Um, you get that misdirection, and then boom, it turns out it's the sister. Right. But so uh, we get several hints that Julia is Rose, mm-hmm. like or from a past life, right? Because she's. Having the dreams, and I know, I know. But then, like, Tom tells her, new rule, what would Rose do? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like this motto is necessary? Or do you feel like it's just an unlike, like, needed? I, I felt it was unneeded, right? Like, it was unneeded. I felt like their whole story was unneeded. Like, all I, of it. I, I feel like we could have just had Tom and, what the hell's the... Grandpa, not the grandpa. Henry. Uh, Henry, the great nephew. Henry and Tom just be related to Maggie some way mm-hmm. and be fine. But mm-hmm. to make them be like these long lost lovers and like. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I, I, I didn't feel like we needed that storyline. No, we didn't. We didn't we did need not. it Mm-mm. at all. And it was okay. And it was okay for them to still fall for each other, but it still didn't need to be. They were like basically them re- the reincarnation of Norris and Rose. That was right. ridiculous. That was ridiculous. So final I was, thoughts. I was super sad when Norris died, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was. It was upsetting. That and Dim yeah. Billy, like poor Billy. Yeah, he and was that super was like in the- love with Rose, and like, well, and she tried to kill him before, but because Eden came along, she. Eben came along. Eben. E-B-E-N. Eben. Yeah, Eben. He, she killed him first. But yeah, I, I mean, I felt sort of bad about Billy dying because, like, that was pointless. Like, he, but, nobody and, needed to murder that kid. And he was so scared of fire. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. that poor child. He was traumatized. I mean, and he was obviously, you know. But that well, was another story that didn't need to be included in this. It had absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the story. The, the, the whole thing with being scared of fire? Yeah, that was dumb. 
Um, I, my final thought on this is that while I really enjoyed the book, there were elements that I didn't see coming, but in a bad way. So I didn't see it coming who the murderer was. So that was interesting. Um, but the whole Rose and Norris thing, um, them being Julia and Tom in in a new life or Felt whatever. unnecessary. It was stupid. It was not necessary at all. You could have them fall in love as they were doing the, like doing the discovery of the story and realizing right. that these characters are like them. Right. Um, I also want to point out, we didn't talk about uh, Tom a great deal, but um, Tom is a doctor as well. Um, but he so travels. He's, yeah. He's an infectious disease doctor. Yeah. So he travels a lot for that, which I thought that was a great throwback to Dr. Oliver Wendell Holmes, because that was basically what he discovered, which was that, you know, you need to clean your hands to stop spreading infection. Right. And then we also didn't talk about this, but it turns out that Maggie in her adult life becomes one of the first female, female doctors, doctors. Yes. Which is really cool. I liked that. Um, yeah. And I mean, basically that family is just a long line of doctors essentially right. when it happens. Right. So I think that's which, really Which cool. happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I still, my biggest criticism is I could do without the modern day story at all. Really? I don't need it at I all. liked having Julia there. I liked Julia and Henry's relationship, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I feel like it was very um, cliche for her to be a divorcee, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, woe is me. I can't. She couldn't just be well, a woman. Was- when remodeling was a house. This was in 2006, I want to say? 2007? That's more modern. Seven. Than I 2007? That's, that's more modern than I thought it was. I thought maybe it was the 90s, and then that nope. made more sense to me, because, like, you know, in the 90s, there were a lot of newly single women, and this would be a genre that that generation of women would have picked up. Nope. So 2007. I don't know then. Um, it felt unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, overall, I really liked the book. I actually, um, so I rate all my books on Goodreads. So if you all want to see my ratings, you can find me on Goodreads. That's go ahead. I keep that public. So that's not, um, that's not really a private look into my life. Um, but, uh, I, I rated it four out of five. So, um, that's a big damn deal. I got another book I brought to April and she actually liked it guys. Yeah. I I don't, and I, I don't win sound. Yeah, I'm really critical of the books that I rate because um, I don't just throw fives out there. Like I really am very mm-hmm. critical, um, and even books that I really like usually end up being three stars instead of uh, instead of four. Um, but uh, yeah, I I, um, I I gave it four out of five, and I would have gotten the five if it would have just focused on the Weston Reaper part of the story. That would have been enough for me. We can put your good read, your link to your good read, actually. In yeah, the sure. Yeah, I can do that. Um, yeah, because like I said, um, if you want to follow me on Goodreads, that is a public-facing page for me. And I do rate every book I'm reading. Um, I so, have not updated my Goodreads since 2010. So oh, I like I like the uh, to, to set a goal for myself and then accomplish that goal. Like my goal this year was 35 because the book club that you and I run was 30. And I just wanted to have five more books than that. And I am currently at 59 books for 2021. You're welcome. <laughs> it is 100% because of 
book bestie. You're welcome. <laughs> and that doesn't include any of like the picture books that I read um, as a children's librarian. I read a lot of picture books and I don't count those. But yeah, I mean, I feel would, free. But I'm an ADHD kid with <laughs> attention problems. <laughs> yeah, but feel free. I mean, we can put my link. That's fine. That that, that one's yeah, not in sure. my yeah, that's not any of my personal information. I get to have a private life, and I don't count Goodreads as that. So Because it's a public site, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, well, that's it. Next week, what do we got next week? Next week Next is- week, we are reading. Um, let me make sure that I'm not wrong about this, but I believe we are reading an absolutely, absolutely remarkable, remarkable thing. thing. Yes, and so I have it here. And look, hey, that's- my soul buddy. If you, if you are <laughs> looking online, April oh, is tabbing. This is actually my third reading of this book. So I'm tabbing things that I know are important later. Um, so there are things that you wouldn't pick up on necessarily in the first read. But we are reading An Absolutely Remarkable Thing by Hank Green. Um, this is book one in the Carl series. There are two books in the Carl series. Uh, An Absolutely Remarkable Thing is book one. And book two is A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor. I love the titles of both of those. I think they're just yes. very Hank Green and very brilliant. Very Hank. Um, and we are going to be going back to alternating hosts. So yes. next week I'm hosting and then um, we'll Yes, please. It's the week after that. Which, yes. Um, if you are playing the home game, folks, and you're tagging along with us, Mm-hmm. I highly recommend the audiobook of Yes. 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 The audiobook I of Yes. I highly please. recommend it. Yes. It, 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 she won. Has, Amy Poehler. Yeah, sorry. Let me, let's. Amy Poehler's Yes, Please. She mm-hmm. won, has not just reading the book herself, she right. also has like her friends who she Guest talks stars, about yeah. Yeah. in this book mm-hmm. in there, which is so yeah. good. It's really, it's, it's really a great audiobook. It has won like a ton of awards. So I, if you're an audiobook fan. If you need a laugh, that book oh, yeah. is, hits the funny boat hard. I started it again this morning while I was getting ready for church and I was already laughing and I hadn't even made it out of the she intro yet. She had so, tears the first time yeah. I heard it. So, so anyway, so we're going to go back to alternating uh, uh, hosts um, and uh, we will be posting on social media. I, I create graphics that show for the month what we'll be doing, and those will be pinned to the top of Facebook. So if you're trying to, you know, get your reading list, your TBR together to follow along with us, or you're trying to get your your the books from the library or whatever you're trying to do, look at the top of the Facebook page where we have a pinned post that tells you what we're reading that month. And uh, that should probably go up this week because this is the last week of Spooky Month. Yeah. Um, and again, we've said this before, but we know that we are reading at our own pace and we don't necessarily expect you to keep up with that pace, but please come back after you've read the book please. or, or if you're like nurse Katie and you don't mind spoilers, then just go ahead and listen to us anyway. Um, Cause you know what? We stopped giving spoiler warnings. Yeah. We're unless, not doing that anymore. No. <laughs> so unless we are, all unless you're an author who would really like us to preview your book and um, give an honest review before it is published. Yeah. We'd be more than happy to do that. We would yeah, we would love to get some art, and we'd um, love to, you know, have author guests, um, especially for you know first time authors. We'd love that. I don't um, count. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I mean, we can read your book if you want, Molly. But I think oh you're gonna God. have. A, I think you're gonna have a very strong opinion in the pro column because you're the writer. So it was a joke. it was a reach it was a really rough reach and rolling into december um we are doing two episodes on harry potter so you can i will have finished harry potter by then 
And also, don't forget to um, email us if you have suggestions or questions you want to yeah. add to the Harry Potter um, dialogue. Because yeah. April's going to have all the feelings. I'm going to hear this all day. So, <laughs> let's just... Um, uh, yeah, and uh, if you're not already following us on social media, please do, because we will be posting... Um, a Q&A comment section, like where you can ask us questions. We're going to do an episode that's like Ask the Book Besties. So yes. that'll be coming up as well. So definitely follow us on social media. I mean, we've had a blast with this. We've been doing this for since June and it's November. So I'm almost November. So we've been doing pretty well and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's it. Well, don't forget to rate us. The like, ratings, subscribe. Like, subscribe. Um, follow all those things. Um, share. Rating, yes, and share. Rating us helps boost the pod up in the... Um, in the pod it, sphere. Yeah, so like the algorithm that decides what people are recommended, we we uh, we need to be boosted, so help us out. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's it. Um, oh, let us know in the comments if you want merch. <laughs> yeah. Somebody suggested we get merch, and we're like, "Do we do? Do we have enough people that would want that?" But um, let us know if you're, yeah. and tell us what you want on the merch. <laughs> <laughs> We've already had a request for everyone needs an emotional support, so Johnny, Johnny Depp. <laughs> I think we should have a bell as our symbol too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Katie, for our bell. And call it right at Nurse Katie on it or something. <laughs> Oh man. Uh, all right, that's it, folks. We'll that's see you it. next week. Yep. Bye. Next week for an absolutely remarkable thing. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on Book Besties. Don't forget to like and subscribe. The views discussed here are those of Molly and April, not those of anybody else. Today's book was Bone Gardens by Tess Grishin. Your book besties are Molly Biggs and April Watkins. Editing by Thomas Watkins and music is Halloween Pumpkin from PurpleTechNet.com. Don't forget to follow Book Besties on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. If you'd like to contact the Book Besties, please email us at bookbestiespod at gmail.com.